sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast this is the environmental as anything show we're uh, just about to, uh, we've just had the insanity of Angus Taylor's fossil fuel technology roadmap. Did you hear much about it, Jeff? Didn't pay much attention to it, I've got yeah. to say. I'm well, a bit jaundiced toward it. Yes, well, abject failure, as we like to refer to our, our failed energy minister, has been out there spruiking this uh, technology <laughs> roadmap to the apocalypse, essentially. He's, uh, he's, he's, technologies, he's, he's abandoning the technologies uh, which are, are proven to be re- uh, capable of reducing uh, emissions, uh, carbon emissions, and he's going for the fairies at the bottom of the garden uh, approach to technology, which is let's go and invent some new ones uh, and and stop funding the ones that we know work. Um, so I've got this piece here from I've got uh, on on the line I've got Andrew Bray, but I wanted to introduce it just by reading a little bit from this Renew Economy uh, piece, and then I'll cross to Andrew in a moment. But uh, as I say, the headline is uh, the insanity of Angus Taylor's fossil fuel technology roadmap. Uh, Federal Energy Minister Angus Taylor made one significant admission on Friday in his speech about the proposed technology roadmap, the coalition's new marketing term to disguise its lack of action on climate and emissions. Wind and solar, Taylor told a Cedar event in Sydney, are now commercially viable, not obviously, quite obviously the cheapest source of new energy and didn't need more federal government support. Not many people would disagree with that. What the renewable energy industry wants from Taylor, however, is not more subsidies. It wants a plan and a target and some effort from the government to smooth the transition to a zero carbon grid by removing the increasing number of regulatory and government hurdles Taylor seems determined to keep in their way. Anyway, it's a great article. It really puts it in perspective. Uh, but in order to put it in perspective even better, we've in, uh, invited uh, Andrew Bray from the uh, the Climate Council to come in. I should uh, say Andrew is uh, the National Coordinator of the Australian Wind Alliance. He's joined the organisation in 2013 after spending two years in the 100% Renewable Campaign, building skills and leadership in local communities to help them speak out in support of renewable energy. The Australian Wind Alliance represents farmers, wind workers, small business and community members who value wind power as a clean, safe and effective source of energy. Andrew has a passion for wind and power and the positive contribution it can make to the local economy and to helping Australia transition to a cleaner energy supply. Andrew is based in one of New South Wales' prime wind districts near the capital wind farm on Lake George in southern Tablelands. And Andrew, can you hear us? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Thank Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today on Environmental as Anything. Yeah, no pleasure. Yes, indeed. Good to have you. So, what's your uh, what's you what are you what would be your headline on uh, Angus Taylor's uh, uh, roadmap? Um, oh well, look as always, you know, Giles Parkinson's pretty on the money. Um, it's you know, it's really just a bit of a, a, a distraction. I think the technology roadmap from the, the many years in which this government has sort of failed to put in proper climate policy. It's not, you know, it's a sort of in the sky solution to um, to a problem which has a solution sitting there right in front of us, which, mm, yes. which as Giles, you know, explained, is um, 
is really about government regulation. Uh, it's about sort of roadblocks, um, many of which we, you know, we've seen coming for a long time and are still sitting there in the way. And, um, and government, you know, they don't need to throw a lot of money at this. They could merely um, just fix up some of the regulatory issues that are, that are there and stopping increased wind and solar rollout and, um, and the market would jump in and, and build a lot of that stuff. Mm. But there's, I mean, there has been under this government, uh, you know, like a massive uh, fall off. It appears in uh, in investment. There looks like there's, there, you know, there keeps being talked about the cliff that uh, that investment in renewables is uh, about to drop off. Can you mm. tell us about that? Well, of course, you know, the government's been in for seven years now. Um, so we've so the cliff that you've just described um, is definitely a real one. Mm. Uh, there were. There was a huge uh, sort of burst of new projects coming on in 2018 and then into 2019, uh, but the 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 investment um, sort of started to dry up in, in 2019. Obviously, these projects you know have a few stages along the way, but um, in 2018 there was a huge you know number of deals signed to get these projects uh, built. Uh, and they started getting built last year, so there was a huge, you know, there were gigawatts of new capacity coming online last year. Mm. But the deals themselves sort of started drying up because of some of these uh, roadblocks. Um, and, yeah, and so now we're looking at a year, you know, in 2020, where we'll see see some of the projects that were committed last year sort of go to, you know, be completed. But, but after that, it's... Um, yeah, it's hard to see kind of what's going to kick it along without um, without some government uh, government energy. Hmm. Andrew, can you itemise the um, the biggest of the road roadblocks for us? Uh, yeah. Look, to be honest, they're not, they're not straightforward, and they're sort of um, they're, they're a bit in the weeds of the sort of power market and power regulation. Um, but it, probably the simplest way to describe it is that. We had a renewable energy target which was going to build um, you know, six to 7,000 megawatts of new wind and solar plants. Yeah. Uh, but there wasn't, there wasn't enough work went into building the grid and getting the grid ready for those plants to plug into. Yeah. Uh, so the places uh, where there are you know, really good wind and solar resources um, often don't have the capacity, the, the grid capacity to, to plug into. So, um, so, for instance, northwest Victoria has, you know, a lot of uh, solar farms which have gone in there, but the line, the line itself is not really able to handle all that new capacity. Uh, so this is not a problem that, you know, people just woke up a couple of months ago and worked out. It's, it's been sort of staring us in the face for for a while, and these, these fixes take a while to put in place. So they really need to, really need to start kicking on with it. Well, from the moment that um, solar and wind started to become so cheap and it was obvious that they were going to be the future, really the government needed to be solving this problem, didn't it? Because we were always going to have these um, mm. installations across the country and then that's been sort of compounded because so much rooftop solar has gone on that it's sort of saturated a lot of the smaller grids areas um, but there just hasn't been any effort into up upgrading that grid. So mm, that's right. And part of the problem has been for you know so much of these seven years that the government's been so hamstrung um, on climate change. They've had a whole bunch of people in the party yep. um, 
the Nationals really driving a lot of it, um, who just, you know, won't even accept that climate change is a real thing, let alone, you know, that a wind and solar farm makes real electricity. <laughs> so, you know, if you can't even get to first base, then um, how are you going to, you know, actually sort of take it seriously and put in proper measures? So, so that's, that's the point we're at. Um, some promising signs are that the state governments are, are stepping up. So in New South Wales, um, the, the state government has said they want to build a renewable energy zone in the central west, sort of based around Dubbo. Um, so that's quite promising, and they will put some money into a grid upgrade there. And uh, they they signed an agreement with the federal government to for the federal government to put in money, but. But as you know, they're sort of pound of flesh there. The federal government has said, "Well, you've got to put in, you know, you've got to get a whole lot of extra gas into the system." Uh, yeah, yeah, it's problematic, yeah, yeah. and you know, the grid upgrade makes a lot of sense, but it shouldn't be coming with this um, quid pro quo. So it seems that all of it, uh, when they talk about uh, the, the, the future, the technology, we had uh, Bruce Robertson talking about the gas uh, deal last week. Um, but um, we, uh, you know, we, we see now this idea that these th- these technologies that they're going to be favouring, so means that a lot of them, a lot of them don't even exist, do they? They're really no. pixies at the bottom of the garden stuff. Um, yeah, well, they are, or they're they're just not technologies that. Um that are actually going to do the job. Mm. So, uh, I mean, that, that's sort of basically the problem with this idea of a technology roadmap. The, the problem is not that we can't have technology, but you don't have technologies for their own sake. The mm. problem is that we're facing a climate crisis and we need to cut emissions in an urgent um, fashion and we need to find the technologies that um, that will allow us to do that. So any te- any you know, technology plan that doesn't say this is the amount of emissions we need to cut and this is how these technologies will help us cut it um, is, is going to fail at the first hurdle because you'll end up with things like... Um, and, of course, we haven't seen the roadmap yet, so we don't know what any of them are. It's just sort of Angus chucking out a couple of, you know, ideas. So it's all thought bubbles. Speech. Yeah, that's right, which is ironic, you know, a week after they went to work when Labor said we're going to have a plan for zero net emissions by 2050 and they went off their rockers and said, you've got no plan, you've got no plan. <laughs> uh, so, um, but, but one of the ideas he mentioned in that speech yesterday was um, a brown coal to hydrogen process. And that, so hydrogen itself you know, could be one of the technologies. Great idea, yep, but not from fossil fuels. That's right. So if it's not if it's not zero emissions hydrogen, well, it's a waste of time, and why would you bother? Mm-hmm. And they've been looking in, into that for a year or more, and the conversion figure is abysmal. Well, yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, look, hydrogen is going to be one of those things that you'd have to um, that will take a lot of a lot of work. Um, it will take probably some government, um, you know, dollars to to fund some R and D on it. To but the 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 big work is going to be done through the market and proper incentives. Um, mm, yep. So, and 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 on that, they, he says that uh, his plan depends upon the marketplace uh, putting in four or five dollars for every government dollar <laughs> uh, that they're they're proposing to pitch into this uh, the, of Australian taxpayers' money. But um, but you know, like the, the the industry isn't queuing up for to, to take you know huge speculative risks on on unproven and and you know uh, like non-existent technologies, is it? 
Well, do you know of well, any? Yeah, industry is showing, and and the government is completely deaf to this. Um, I don't know if you're listening to a um, an interview that that um, Angus did on ABC Radio throughout the week, and Fran Kelly at one point said to him, "Aren't you aren't you listening to what business is saying to you?" <laughs> he barreled on, you know, clearly oblivious to what their point was. I did hear that. Yes. Yeah, and so and that's the problem is they're not listening to industry when they say to them, "We need clear emissions targets. Um, we need you to, you know, clear the clear the sort of hurdles that are in the way of the clean technologies, and we'll get on and do it." Um, so, you know, he's. I think he's he's highly optimistic. That four or five dollar, you know, sort of um, figure for every one dollar of government spending. Um, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation has been operating for a number of years, doing similar kind of work to this, but in the clean energy space where investors are queuing up to get in, mm. uh, and they. They've managed, I think, two to three dollars for every one dollar, which is a pretty good outcome. That's not yeah. bad, yeah. But four to five dollars, like you know, selling his dream. Yeah. So, so it's a it's it's a it's a speculative uh, you know thought bubble where, of a, of a of a plan uh, in inverted commas and it has uh, uh, no financial basis. It has no scientific basis. Is it possible that Angus Taylor doesn't know this? I mean, have you personally and others you know been involved in actually telling him what the facts are here? Um, I have met with him on a couple of occasions, and um, he's very sure of his own opinions. Probably the way I'd say. Right. Um, and yeah, and you often get the sense that that he's he's got such a great understanding of what's happening that he doesn't need to, to hear feedback from other people. Uh, I mean, I think what, probably what is happening here is that the so again to go back to that brown coal to hydrogen, um, you know, fairy at the bottom of the garden. <laughs> um, it has that is a plan that's been around in the Latrobe Valley you know, for decades. Mm, and, right. and it sort of gets the, you know, Victorian governments over the years have sort of chucked a, you know, few million to it here, a few million there. And it's never really kind of gotten going. Uh, and if anything, as the years go by, it, it becomes less and less, um, you know, feasible just because of the emissions um, component of it. Um, but you get the sense that the federal government is thinking, OK, well, if we tell people investors that they can come to Australia and will back them up and give them a bit of, you know, money for this stuff, then maybe they will. But but what it what it would ignore is is the fact that, you know, the the federal government has given hundreds of millions of dollars, I, I think it's about five hundred million dollars over the last ten years to um, carbon capture and storage research. All right. Yeah. Um and it's gone nowhere. And in fact the last round of spending of that under the coal train Coal 21 campaign was was that advertising campaign. Yeah. So they actually took money that was designed for this, um, you know, to leverage private sector investment in this new technology R and D into the new technology, and um, and they just ran out of interest. Mm. Industry just never stepped up to the plate and put in those extra dollars because they obviously don't believe that they can get. Um, carbon capture and storage to work at scale on... Um, well, it's on a bad idea, and, and it's been trialled in Southern America and Southern North America, 
um, and they've proven it's it's costly failure basically they can do it but they got to really have all the conditions just lining up and then it still costs a lot of money so it's mm. just a red herring and it keeps being touted as one of these sort of techno fixes but it's never going to happen except in a mm. small area and in the you know in the context of this roadmap um you know you need to sort of step back and look at what are the drivers for for you know really significant cost falls yeah. Um, and and so if you look at solar, which you know for the last twenty years, every every year there's been an average decrease in prices of about twenty three percent, which is just astonishing. Mm, like yeah. year after year after year. And I heard Martin Green, who's one of the Australian pioneers of the solar panel technology, um, speaking at ANU last week, and and he was saying he he doesn't see any stop to that because mm. there are all sorts of new things come in yeah. um, that allow them to increase it. And so, and, and the lesson there is that, um, and the same thing is happening with batteries, is that if you have a sort of small widget, if you like, that you're manufacturing in the millions or hundreds of millions, then, um, you know, the, it gets done so often that the efficiencies really kick in mm. and there's, you know, a huge competition. Sure. And... And the price falls are really dramatic. Mm. So and then your marginal costs are next to zero, and you and you just it's a license to print money. Yeah. Can, mean, I, look at, can, can I interrupt you briefly? We, we are yeah. going to have to wrap it in the next few minutes, but um, I've just got I've got a thirty second grab from Angus Taylor on that on power prices, and I'd just like to get your your response to it if I could. Well, I mean, power prices are a very real concern to every Australian and uh, it's important the, the energy regulator continue to do its work on ensuring that we contain power prices. But the biggest threat to power prices is Labor's 50% renewable energy target. Nothing else will have the impact that that would have on power prices for every Australian and every Australian business. And it is a policy that we must fight against at every opportunity. So what, what that's effect... A, that's a pre-election one. Yeah, I, I yeah that's a, from, from a while ago now, but that was his stated position on power prices and renewables a while ago. Mm. Well, you know, is that, what is the effect of renewables on power prices at this point? We were just sort of alluding to it, but what, how would you respond to that? Mm. Uh, well, look, there's two things I'd say there. One is that um, the government has actually admitted quietly, and Taylor put this out in a press release, that... Um, <clears throat> The government expects us to be at 48.3% renewables by 2030, mm. under you know under their current settings. So, uh, yeah. So their calls before the election that 50% would just sort of you know the lights would all go out. <laughs> um, we're a little bit overblown, but it's um, the most recent. So prices have actually started to turn around in the last 12 months, and they have started to reduce, and the wholesale prices have reduced. And the main um, change there has simply been that there's been more wind and solar capacity in the grid uh, and, and that extra supply with the, the same levels of demand has just pushed down the, the price. So That's right. Any solar. savings have come from in renewables. Quite the opposite to what he's actually saying there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like most of what was said for about a three-month period before the election has been just kind of dismissed as gobbledygook, really. Yeah. Yes. Well, look, thanks for helping us to clarify that, Andrew. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Yeah, no, thanks. It was, um, 
Andrew, I have one little question before you go. This um, after the bushfires, there's been talk of um, perhaps more standalone uh, micro grids and um, some areas not needing to go back onto the grid. Is that going to factor in to an extent? Do you think in a future grid? Uh, yeah, look, that's it's my sense that that it really will. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I've been lucky to be at a couple of conferences lately, and the, the one I went to this week uh, at Parliament House was um, uh, was talking about that that very thing. Uh, and these are shires in Yurubadala and uh, Shoalhaven, yep. uh, which you know really suffered from the fires like you guys have up there, and um, and so they're looking at in the way they rebuild. Uh, standalone power systems are going to be looked at as being a much more essential part of, of what they have, um, you know, just so they can manage bushfires. So, so there was a lot of enthusiasm for really, um, really beefing that sort of stuff up. Interesting, and the technology is really making it possible with the batteries and so on too. That's exactly right. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks. Pleasure. Have a great day. We'll talk again sometime, hopefully. Right. Cheers. Well. That was Andrew Bray uh, speaking for the Climate Council. He's the uh, Australian Wind Alliance uh, Supremo Chief. And uh, Next time we get him back on, I must ask him about um, why we don't have anything offshore in wind. Well, that's right. I think, from my understanding, it's the expense of building offshore is a lot greater than building onshore, and we still have a lot of untapped potential sites for onshore wind here. I think the offshore mm. sites that you see in Europe in particular are in very space-constrained countries you know where they, where they don't have a huge amount of spare land like australia does i don't That's know understanding. I don't, I don't places know. like look look at this area here um byron shire did a study some decade or more back now about the wind sites in byron that were none you know the mm. the lightning and uh, the lightning the lighthouse was one and there was one somewhere up on the ranges totally off the grid so that was impossible but there's just no wind sites um, and we've got a major population, you know, reasonably high population centre here. Then we've got the Gold Coast is big and Brisbane is huge and that whole corridor going up to the Sunshine Coast is massive and it's the most sticky out part of Australia so it gets very constant offshore wind mm. um, and a major population centre right in the middle of it. Mm. Um, why don't we look at that, you know, because mm. there's no local onshore areas we could use. No, no, that's right. It's not a, not a great spot for wind in onshore here anyway. But, yeah, no, that's right. Well, those, oh, oh, well we should well, we shall have to get yeah. Andrew back and talk about wind farming, etc. In, in greater detail. Well, anyway, we were talking about, uh, you know, abject failures, uh, you know, pixies Lies. at the bottom of the garden. He's... he's, he's <laughs> His, his target that he's now drawn on his own back, uh, which, oh. which is, you know, the, the roadmap to the apocalypse, essentially, that they're institutionalising fossil fuel use uh, in the name of zero emissions. It's uh, another disgraceful con job from the, the scum regime. Um, we've got a, a piece here from Smart Company, which is a, a, a business uh, advice uh, site, and they talk, they, their headline is $1 from government, $5 from business, Angus Taylor's technology roadmap places financial burden on entrepreneurs. And it's, uh, you know, the government will be looking for the private sector to put four or five times as much as it invests in research and development of particular technologies to reduce emissions, Energy Minister Angus Taylor, Angus Taylor says. And 
so essentially they're saying that this is an absurd impost uh, and why would they? Why would, uh, you know, any private enterprise be going with a, a government which is determined to pick losers and starting to pour, you know, hard-earned money in down the coal black hole with them? It, well, it's very simple. There's a fossil fuel gravy train. <laughs> There's a trough out there and they've got, they're up to their muzzles into it. Oh, yeah, but I think this is them turning the corner. This is them, them standing on the street corner demanding money with menaces or, or at, least, <laughs> at least throwing the hat on the ground and saying, you know, here, throw some money into our, in, into our favourite charity, which is the fossil fuel sector. It's, it's gotten to the point where the government is now twisting the arms of, uh, of the private sector into putting money into fossil fuels. They never had to twist their arms uh, any other time in my lifetime or any other time in the last hundred years. To get them to put money in it, and the reason is fossil fuels are no longer a viable, uh, uh, you know, prospect for uh, investment. Business isn't stupid. Well, they're not as stupid as this government, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, we uh, that came was across a new name through, for him through the week, Teflon Taylor. Teflon. But it just—I'm just amazed that anyone can stand up in public and just tell blatant lies day after day after day, mm. and he's never held to account. Mm. Well, and he just lies all of the time. Yeah. I think it's the travesty that no wonder people don't want to have a bar of our governance mm, it's mm. Um, horrible mm. no, no, no. he's an appalling uh, canker on the, com- the face of Australian uh, democracy are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips would you like to know what simple effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today Tune in to Environmental as Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.